Welcome to the Torah Prime Podcast with Rabbi Yaakov Laredo. Rabbi Laredo is the founder and director of the Miami Torah Center in Sunny Isles Beach, Florida. MTC Sunny Isles is an organization that inspires Jews of all ages and backgrounds to develop and expand themselves through the study of Torah. We focus on three main areas, discovering Torah, connecting to God, and engaging with other Jews. Rabbi Laredo's number one goal is to provide you with deep, clear, concise, and applicable Torah material, helping you become the best you. Good evening, everyone. Welcome, everyone, to the Chobita Kochav Ladies Midrashah program at the Safra Synagogue tonight. For the very first time, we'd like to welcome my dear friend and colleague, Rabbi Yaakov Laredo, that moved recently from Montreal, Canada, and uh, recently, actually, from Pesach time, he moved very close to us in the area of Sony Isle. So we wish the rabbi to have great aslaha in the spreading of Torah, Mizvot, and Ma'asim Tovim. And it's a great pleasure uh, to welcome us to our ladies Midrasha program. Thank you, Rabbi. Thank you, everyone, for coming, for joining us this evening. Uh, the rabbi uh, makes me feel bashful when he calls me a colleague. Uh, he's more of a rebbe to me. Uh, still a friend, but uh, a rebbe and a mentor, and uh, the hakarat atov that I have for the rabbi, uh, words cannot express uh, everything. So really, rabbi, thank you. And B'zat uh, Hashem, I feel honored and privileged to be here and share Divret Torah with uh, everyone this evening. Thank you for coming. So the rabbi is very, very good with the way he how he organizes the Midrashah, because it's not like he, most places, by the way, the hardest thing for a, a speaker is to choose the title of a topic. To speak, right, Rabbi? We can speak as long as we want, as short as we want, that's easy. But choosing the title, so the Rabbi is so organized, that he tells me, Yaakov, can you speak at this date, and this is your topic? I said, perfect, you give me the name of the topic, I'll fit it in, no problem. But that was the problem with that, is that that was over a month ago, and I forgot what the name of the topic was. <laughs> but I'm joking, I'm joking. We're speaking tonight about Pesach Sheni, but I'm going to save that for a little later on into the class. I'm going to put this here so we, I pay attention how long I'm going for. Pesach Sheni is not this week. It's actually starting Motzei Shabbat, all day Sunday. If we look at, and we're speaking to scholarly women, Baruch Hashem, the Midrashah, a lot of Torah is being learned. If we look at the very first Rashi in our entire Chumash, it's a very, very famous Rashi. The Rashi tells us, Amar Yitzchak, Rabbi Yitzchak said, the Torah really should have started from the very first mitzvah God gave to Bnei Israel, to Am Israel. And the only reason why it started from Genesis, from Bereshit, the creation of the world, was only to prove against anyone that will claim, why does the Jewish people occupy the land of Israel? It's a very important topic even for today. 
Why does the Jewish people have the ownership and the right to live in the land of Israel? Didn't it belong to the seven nations prior? So you know how the Torah starts? The Torah goes on to start and telling us that God created the universe we live in, the world that we live in, all human beings and all nations, and it's up to him to decide who, when, and what belongs to each and every person. And when God brings back the Jewish people out of bondage and out of slavery, and he gives them the land of Israel, it belongs to none other than them. So what is this first mitzvah? The first mitzvah that the Torah has to give us, approximately a book and a half, the whole book of Bereshit, and 11 chapters of the book of Exodus, of the book of Shemot. What is that amazing mitzvah that God starts the Torah off first with something else, leading up to this moment? The mitzvah is the beginning of chapter 12 in Shemot, Parashat Bo, HaChodesh Hazeh Lachem Rosh Chodashim. This month, the month of Nisan, will be the first of all of your months. Nisan is the first, and then Iyar, as we find ourselves now, Sivan, and all the way. According to the Torah, this is how we count the year. This is how we count the months. So now have in mind, the Jewish people have been in the land of Israel for no less than 210 years. Two weeks before the grand day, the day of the Exodus, is when God comes and now calls Moshe Rabbeinu, and he tells him, you are now going to come outside and look at the sky with me. Who else looked at the sky and was shown by Hashem? Someone? Very good, Abraham Avinu. But Abraham was shown something, and Moshe was shown something else. Abraham was shown, someone help me, the stars. What was Moshe shown? The moon. Hashem showed Moshe Rabbeinu the moon and said, you see the way it looks now? That's how you know when the beginning of the new month is, 12 months a year, when it looks like this. It's exactly 29 and a half days. If I go 29 and a half days, I'm going to end up in the middle of the day, right? Hold it. So we do one month 29, one month 30, back and forth, back and forth, to give us a complete, to give us a complete year, a complete month. But what is so important if we ask ourselves? The first mitzvah God gives to the Jewish people, to the Jewish nation, it must be something amazing. It must be something special, special life-changing, right? Rosh Chodesh, new month. What's so important? You know, God didn't, was not the only one who thought that it was important, this amazing mitzvah of HaChodesh HaZelachem, counting the Rosh Chodesh, establishing the Rosh Chodesh. But almost 1,200 years later, there was a nation who decreed against Judaism for the Jews. Anyone good in Jewish history? Who was that? Very good, the Yevanim, the Greeks. The Greeks decreed against Judaism, prohibiting Jews. Now, they were politically correct. There was some type of media back then. They couldn't do what they wanted, kind of like today. They did everything in a politically correct manner, 
but it was all crooked. They didn't tell a Jew you're not allowed to be a Jew. They even let Jews eat kosher food. They only decreed on three things. No observance of Shabbat, no circumcising of the boys, and the third is no counting and establishing the Rosh Chodesh. These were the three. What did the Greeks find so important in that third? I understand the first two. Shabbat, Brit Milah, those are the staples of our very Jewish observance. That's who we are. Every single week, we get the grand opportunity of stopping from running and chasing our tails. And we have Shabbat to recharge. Every baby boy, we hope on the eighth day, if not very soon after, religious, not religious, affiliated, not affiliated, Everybody circumcises our children, our boys. So that, I understand how the Greeks would want to stop. But why Rosh Chodesh? So we have two questions which are really the same. What did God find so important that this is the first mitzvah? And what did the Greeks understand, if it be the same, that they wanted to stop and put a decree against Holding and keeping and counting the Rosh Chodesh. Rabbi Pincus, who any of you who know me, I'm quite obsessed about the rabbi, Zecher Tzadik Libracha, Rabbi Shimshon David Pincus. Ever since I was in Yeshiva, I always was learning his Farim. Passed away before I was even in Yeshiva. I never had the opportunity of meeting him. But if anyone have ever heard his, his, his lessons, his recorded lessons, he was an American rabbi who moved to Eretz Israel. And he spoke literally like dvash, like honey. Amazing. So he gives the following answer. He gives us a basic one. This is kedarko, like he normally does. He gives a basic answer, and then he gives us a deeper understanding. The basic answer goes as follows. He says that these are the three, the only three mitzvot commandments, that if a Gentile observes, it's either as if they did nothing or they're even punishable. What does that mean? If a Goy, if a Gentile, wants to, a, a Goyish man, wants to, wants to put on tefillin, do you know that according to Halacha, the Rambam writes, they're allowed to put on the tefillin and they even get they have the right intention, a partial amount of merit for the mitzvah of doing it. Amazing, no? Do you know that if a Gentile wants to eat only kosher, or they don't want to meet, eat, mix meat and milk, or they do anything for the sake of God after learning about it, that it's from the Torah, they get a partial merit for it. A goy that gives charity to help a yeshiva, to help a kolel, to help a bet knesset, to poor people, they get a partial mitzvah. Not as great as a Jew, and that's not for tonight's topic. But they also get a mitzvah. Do you know that the Talmud says a Gentile who keeps Shabbat is hayav mitah, liable for death? Do you know that a Gentile who would circumcise themselves or their son, the child or the man, is still considered uncircumcised? So that makes sense. But what about Rosh Chodesh? That's the third one. Where does that come in? The way it used to be is today, 
Very different than today. Today we come to the Beit Knesset, and I'll, I'll use another opportunity to compliment the rabbi with the most beautiful calendar in all of South Florida. Today we have, well, today we have calendars! Who, who, who gets it? Azab Baruch, you're, you're blushing, beautiful, very nice. <laughs> um, nowadays we come to the Beit Knesset and they give us a beautiful calendar. We take out our phones, we have on our apps, we know exactly when Rosh Chodesh is. Is it one day? Is it two days? We could calculate years in advance. How come? Was it always like this? No, no. The Talmud tells us that there was a very specific system on how Rosh Chodesh was instituted on a monthly basis. There had to be two witnesses who saw the moon in a certain position, in a certain shape, at a certain time. They used to have to come and give testimony that they saw it. And they were cross-referenced to make sure that they weren't lying, or weren't trying to trick, or weren't making a mistake, or any of the other uh, sort. That's how every single month, it wasn't 29 and 30 and 29 and 30. It could have been 29 a bunch of times in a row. It could have been 30 in a bunch of times in a row. It was based on not just the witnesses, it was based on the sages. It was based specifically on the Sanhedrin who instituted Rosh Chodesh every single month. That's something that negates and shoves aside the Greek way of life or specifically the Greeks, the, the Greek people. They had no opportunity in helping and establishing when there's a new month or when there's not a new month. They were not part of the Sanhedrin. They were not part of the sages. And for that reason, they wanted to abolish it, he says. These were the three things that they had no right in. And that's why they got rid of these three. The Ben Ishchai writes that those three were specific because they also have the acronym of Hamesh. Chodesh for Het, Mem for Milah, and Shin for Shabbat. Alluding to their political mannerism of and tactic of getting rid of the whole Chamishachum Torah, all five books of Moses, but through those three in their political tactic. But this is the basic. So on the basic level, they felt horrible that they were disassociated and shoved aside and excluded from these three mitzvot. But now Rabbi Pincus tells us a deeper understanding. And with this understanding, I think we're going to slowly creep our way towards the topic of the evening. Tells us as follows that the three mitzvot, the three commandments the Greeks decreed upon the Jews, were specific in Shabbat. They knew that Shabbat is something that sanctifies time, right? Once a week for 25 hours. They knew that Brit Milah sanctifies what? The body. That's for men. For women, there's mikveh. There's mitrashim that say they also did not allow mikveh, by the way, speaking to women, which is also with a mem, mikveh, milah. So it's important. It's, it's nice to know. But now why Rosh Chodesh? Wouldn't we think that Rosh Chodesh also sanctifies time? But we did that already with Shabbat. Rather, Mefarshim tell us that Rosh Chodesh sanctifies the neshama. What does that mean? The soul? I understand the other two. These three are the staples of Judaism. They are the secret, and the Greeks understood this. 
to our everlasting existence. So they attacked these three. So the first is attacking our sanctification of time. The second is attacking our sanctification of body. And then the third is attacking our sanctification of soul. But how through Rosh Chodesh? Does that make any sense? So he takes us back a moment and he says, Do we remember when the Jewish people left Egypt? When they left Egypt, they were actually entrenched in the 49th level of impurity. They were not only physically slaves and stuck in Egypt, they were physically, sorry, spiritually, emotionally, mentally stuck in that life, that slave mentality. And it brought them to a very low spiritual place. It crushed their self-esteem. It crushed their connection with the Borei Olam, with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. They were really at the bottom. So how can it be that from being the lowest of the low, all of a sudden one day, literally four days before, they are freed. Hashem on the 10th of Nisan tells them, tells Moshe, go and collect a lamb. Have every family collect a lamb. Put it aside. On the 14th of the month, everyone will slaughter it and have Korban Pesach. And then at night, the 15th, everyone will leave. Now, not only is everyone leaving and experiencing this revelation and, and this exodus, this is also now coming to the sea. They come to the sea, the sea splits. They sing Shirat Hayam Az Yashir that we say every day. They all sing it at the same time on beat as if they practiced it times before. When we come to the synagogue and we sing Adon Olam or we sing any other song, we all learned it, or most of us learned it as children. If not, we learned it as we go along, but we practiced it. No one practiced the singing and the song of Az Yashir, not the tune and not the words. Yet all of a sudden, Prophetically, they're all singing it along. How can they go from being the lowest of the low to having all of these amazing opportunities of mitzvot and miracles and then wait, then they get to the mountain. They get to Mount Sinai, the Sinai revelation. God comes down and gives the Torah. They hear with their ears, which they're supposed to be stuck in the lowest place of impurity. With their own ears, they hear the first two commandments of God with his very own words. How does that all happen so fast? It's a good question. So listen to how he answers. He says that Hashem gave the Jewish people a unique gift. This is something specific to Yehudim. And no one else, no other nation has this gift. This gift can be put in different terminologies. The way Chachamim tell it to us is literally the power of Teshuvah. The power of repentance. The power of Teshuvah that a Jew has is nothing like, nothing likened to the way Hashem can or will ever forgive a Gentile. Let's take an example. The city of Nineveh. Jewish prophet, soon to be the prophet of the, of the Jewish people, Hashem tested him out first to see how he would do. Very good. On his way to reprimand and to guide 
Goyim. Hashem chooses Yonah and He tells him, Go warn the city of Ninveh that they are sinning in front of me. And he was avoiding and avoiding and avoiding until Hashem made a way. We know the story. If you don't know it, Yom Kippur will learn it again at the end of Yom Kippur every year. And he finds himself in Ninveh. He warns the people, he reprimands them, and they are saved. If we look, and specifically in chapter 4 in the book of Jonah, we find nowhere the verbiage of either them doing teshuvah or Hashem accepting their teshuvah. The word teshuvah is not found over there. It just said that Hashem is not going to destroy them. But how does that work? They really stopped at the same time. This is the source of the difference between a Jew and a Gentile. Listen to the following. A Gentile is likened to the sun. What does that mean? Do you know that the sun, in and of itself, is a source of energy? This source of energy does not change. It's a gift from Hashem. If the sun would change position, change its intensity in any way, we're finished. We either freeze or we burn. One or the other. The only reason why there is, if we believe in it or not, and it's not for this forum, such a thing as global warming or not, is because of the change of the earth that we live in. But it's not the sun. The sun is constant. The sun cannot change. It's innately, have, it has absolutely no ability to change any aspect about it. And this is a goy. Meaning, an Italian is an Italian. A Russian is a Russian. An Arab is an Arab. For the good, for the bad, whatever it is, they cannot change. You know what a Jew is likened to? Somebody? The moon. The sun and the moon. B'nai Israel are likened to a moon. What does that mean? A moon is not an energy source in any way. All it does is changes position. It moves. In other words, it's a reflector. It's a mirror. And how so? How come does the moon sometimes look different? It looks like it's growing. It looks like it's not. No. That's only the light of the sun that it reflects based on the position and the angle that the moon is at that time of the month. That's a Jew. A Jew has the power and the potential to change, to change its position. If the moon is specifically located at a certain spot, what happens for exactly one day a month, and then maybe a, a day before or a day after at the same time, it's completely located, and then the whole, sun, the whole moon is illuminated. Illuminated from what? Illuminated off the energy, and specifically the light of the sun. That's a Jew. A Jew is a reflector. A Jew is a mirror of the world and the circumstances that it lives in. It's very nice to look at sometimes historic books, especially of Jewish history, and you see the garb of Jews along the time. So some will look at it and say, well, the Jews changed their garb. Look how vulnerable we are that we're going with the times. On the opposite, when it's properly calculated and observed in the right way, it's actually something beautiful to see how the Jew, as Mark Twain, sorry to quote him, has, has said, has survived them all. And we do so in every way because we are reflectors. And being that we're a reflector, we're able to change. 
We can all understand this concept very well by when we sit in the car and we're speaking to the women. So if your husband was in the driver's seat before you sat in the driver's seat, you need to address the mirror based on your height. Just a little click, now everything's automatic, right? Just a little click of the mirror changes your whole view on the side of the car, on the top, on the other side. That's a Jew. Sometimes we need to readjust our position on the way we think about certain things, think about certain people, do certain things. It's all a matter of position. It's all a matter of adjusting. That's the power of a Jew. That's the power of a moon. A moon increases in size and decreases in size. You know what that means? That means in life. That means to each and every one of us. That means as a Jewish people, collectively, there are ups and there are downs. Life is a roller coaster. And that is fine. And that's what we are put in this world to deal with. Goyim, not so. Goyim have risen and they fall. We are here to stay because HaKadosh Baruch Hu chose us as His special and unique firstborn, the nation, Am Yisrael, as we learned in, as in last week's parasha. This is what Hashem had in mind when He gave this as the first of all the 613 commandments. The first commandment was, HaChodesh Hazeh Lachem Rosh Chodashim. The power of renewal. The power of changing. The power of increasing and decreasing. That is why Hashem wanted that to be the first. And that's why the Greeks wanted to get rid of it and eradicate that from our vocabulary, from our mindset. Because if a Jew is able to change... A Jew is able to survive. If a Jew is able to be molded properly, carefully, making sure to observe the Torah as long as at the same time and going with the time, then we will survive. The Greeks didn't want that. The Greeks wanted us to become like them. They wanted us to, us to be Greek Jews, not Jewish Greeks, or vice versa, however else it makes, however it makes sense. But that's what they wanted. And this is why this is the first. Now, this was given on the first day of Nisan, year 2448. Okay, just 50 days before Matan Torah. Two weeks later, on the 14th of Nisan, Hashem commands the Korban Pesach. The Paschal offering, service to be done. At that moment, there were some who came to Moshe Rabbeinu. If anyone would like to look this up, this is in Parashat Behalotecha, which is in the book of Numbers, Bamidbar. It says over there that there were some individuals who came to Moshe Rabbeinu and said, What can we do? We are impure. We can't bring the sacrifice. What are we going to do? So the commentaries tackle who was impure. 
They were all going to be pure now. Who's impure that they cannot bring the Paschal sacrifice? So there's two opinions. Opinion number one it was Nadav and Avihu's brothers who were going to become impure. And that was Elazar. This was second year around. Elazar and Itamar. Others say it was the individuals who carried Yosef's bones. Yosef's bones, even though he was a great tzaddik, and that tzaddik came after they passed away, they're still considered alive. At the end of the day, the bones, the, the carcass of Joseph still has impurity. So they come to Moshe Rabbeinu and they say, what are we going to do? How are we going to bring the sacrifice? Moshe says, good question. Let me ask Hashem. Hashem comes back and tells him, you know what? We're going to let them do the Paschal sacrifice in exactly one month. On the 14th of Iyar, they're going to have, and now I'm going to say the topic of the night, a second chance. Hashem gave the Jewish people a second chance. Anyone who was traveling, anyone who was ill, anyone who was ritually impure and not able to make it, they all had a second chance 30 days later. This is, by the way, one of the greatest questions. If you look on a calendar, Pesach is on what day of the Hebrew month? The 15th and the 16th here in Chutz La'aretz. If you go a month later and you're looking for Pesach Sheni, it's on the 14th. Why? Because the 14th of Nisan is when the Pesach offering was brought. So the Pesach offering brought a second time around forever, missed it, again was on the 14th of Iyad, exactly 30 days later. So it's important to note. So when you look at your calendar, you look at the Hebrew calendar, or the Nashim Tzad you're reading the Tehilim of the month, and today they, they tell you, you know, Sunday is Pesach Sheni, and you're reading day 14, you're not a day behind, don't worry. The 14th day is when Pesach Sheni is observed because it's commemorating the missing of the Paschal sacrifice that we have a second chance to to redone. But why this mitzvah? Do you know that this is an anomaly of a mitzvah? There's no other mitzvah of the 613 commandments or mitzvot that we have a makeup for. There's no other one. There's this concept of avar zemano, the time has passed, batel korbano. That's it, you can't bring the offering, you can't bring the sacrifice. Why Pesach is it any different? So in my humble opinion, I spoke it over with my Rebbe this morning from Montreal, and he, he agreed with this, and he, he helped me develop this concept. And the concept is as follows. When Hashem gave the Jewish people the mitzvah of Achodesh HaZelachem, and specifically the mitzvah of Korban Pesach, that was when he formalized the Jewish people as a nation. And God was setting a precedent that from now and forevermore, we should know that Hashem always gives a second chance. You want to know something else? He gives us more than a second chance. He gives us a second chance every year around, every time around. He gives us Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur every year. But He gives us more than that. He gives us Rosh Chodesh every single month. Rosh Chodesh, according to the Kabbalistic writings, is like a brand new paper in the notebook. Rosh Hashanah is when the notebook is changed. But on Rosh Chodesh, the notebook is turned over and you have a brand new paper, a brand new slate. 
continuing. Every Sunday is a brand new week. Every day you wake up is a brand new day. It's a new, fresh start. It's not our second chance. It's our million and second chance. And that's okay. That is HaKadosh Baruch Hu. He's there to give us a second chance. So this is the first out of three concepts I want to share. The second two are much shorter than the first, though. The concept of, and let's just recap, of Hashem giving us a second chance every single time. And we learn this from HaChodesh HaZelachem, i.e. Rosh Chodesh, the first commandment God gives the Jewish people as a nation, and from the concept of Pesach Sheni, which is the one and only time Hashem gives us black on white in our Torah, a second chance for missing. Now the second concept. If Hashem gives you a second chance, you know who needs to give you a second chance? Yourself. You need to believe in yourself. You need to give yourself a second chance. If God Almighty, with who has this aspect of Midat Adin, judgment. He also has compassion, but he is still a judging king in some ways. If he gives you a second chance, if he believes in you, you have to give yourself a second chance. You have to believe in yourself. That's why we came. We came in this world because we have to fix something. We need to better ourselves. We need to refine our characters. We need to refine the, the relationships that we have in our lives. So believe in yourself and give yourself a second chance. You were late one week to light Shabbat candles. You forgot one week to light Shabbat candles. You finished making the best challah in the world. It's in the oven, it's on the Shabbat table. You forgot to take off challah. It doesn't matter. There's something to do about it. If you miss the Shabbat candle, you have to add another one. Or better yet, you just add a little more oil or light bigger candles. It's not a halakha class. There's something to do, but it doesn't matter. Get it right the next time. That's all Hashem wants. So that's the second concept. The third concept, and with this we'll finish off is, Hashem gives you a second chance. You give yourself a second chance. And now, halakha bidrachav, we emulate HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and we give others a second chance. When we give others a second chance, Hashem gives us the second chance. Where do we get this compassion and mercy from God to give us another chance? To give us the 200,000th second chance. From where? He sees the way we act. It's a famous concept of midah, keneged midah, measure for measure. Rav Chaim Ivolozhin, the author of one of the greatest Musar Sifarim, Nefesh Chaim, writes, When King David says that I, Hashem, am your shade, Hashem tzilecha al yad yeminecha, Hashem is my shade, that means when I go like this, the shade over here is not me, that's Hashem. That's amazing. But what does that mean? He says it means as follows. The way we act, the way we treat others, the way we think of others, speak of others, and speak to others, is the way Hashem treats us back. He's our shade, meaning in the way we act, 
is the way he acts with us. As the Talmud says, anyone who judges others favorably, specifically during the time of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, Hashem judges them favorably too. There's a story given about an individual who was going into court to fight none other than a parking ticket. They felt like they were in the right. They didn't go to ticket clinic or whatever the thing is. They went themselves. And they were scared. It was an expensive ticket. For some reason, it would have caused a lot of harm and pain to, to have to just pay with the ticket. They wanted to contest it. And they're literally walking in to the courthouse trembling with the papers and your license plates. And you're going like this. You just pass security, all the intimidation. We know. And while you're walking in, it's early in the morning, you have a coffee, you're barely waking up, and someone runs into you. Your papers fly in the air, literally like a movie. The coffee spills all over your shirt and the papers, and you look at Hashem, Hashem, could anything get better? As that happens, the person walking run by who just literally bulldozered you, looks around and says, I'm so sorry, ma'am. I really didn't mean it. I'm so sorry. I gotta run. So imagine you pause and you act like the better you and you say, no problem, sir. Have a great day. It's not happening in real life, but imagine, okay? <laughs> no problem. God bless you. Do it next time. Don't worry, I'll clean up my papers and I'll present myself in front of the judge with a coffee stain. Go for it. Thank you for making my day harder. Imagine you really, really, really were genuinely thankful to the individual. And then you come into the courtroom. You see the judge, you're trembling, you're, you're, you're hiding your blouse from the, from, the, from the stain of the coffee. Your papers are folded. You're going to do it off by heart. You had your script ready. Yalla. We're going to open the heart and just speak. And you get up there. And you're looking down out of humility. And all of a sudden the judge calls on you. And you look up. And you look up at the judge. And you see the judge is fierce and tense. And stringent. And all of a sudden in the middle of talking. There's a pause. And the judge turns and someone walks up to him and starts speaking to him. And all of a sudden you look at that guy and you say, hey, that's the guy. That's the bull who ran me over in the, in, the, in the hallway and got me all dirty. And you're like, what is he doing here? So you, they stop. You look back at the judge. The judge comes back to you. Mrs. So-and-so, what do you have to say about your parking violation? Imagine you go, sir. Who was that? He says, who was that? That's my son. Oh, that's your son. Wow. And then you realize that he must have put in a good word for you. And he acquits you. Again, it's an analogy. But this analogy is the analogy of our bin Adam, Lahavero. Do you know that every single Jew is your brother? is your sister, whether you have the same last name, whether you're born in the same country, or whether you're born in opposite country with opposite traditions, 
Dark skin, light skin, light hair, dark hair, whatever. Eat spicy, no spicy, bland food, salty food, whatever it is. We are all brothers and sisters. And when another Jew does something good for another Jew, Hashem sees that and says, Wow, you're taking care of my son, you're taking care of my daughter. Even though it's not for granted for you to do that, I'll take care of you. When I'm going to sit on that din, I will stand up and move over to the Kiseshel Rahamim. We're going to put some, some compassion over there. That's giving a second chance. I'll allow myself to finish off with one more on the same topic. We actually read it in last week's parasha. The famous, one of the most greatest parashiot, obviously. The, it's basically the Bible, sorry, pardon the pun, but the Bible of our interpersonal relationships, dealing between one and another. There's a lot of them. There's also Betzedek Tishpot Amitecha. The Torah tells us that you should judge your, favorably, your, your fellow favorably. The Talmud tells us and Rashi's commentary on the Talmud is it's not only talking about in court, it's talking about in the courtroom of our minds as well. When you see somebody do something, judge them favorably. Come up with an idea of how maybe they really didn't intend so bad. Sometimes it's hard, sometimes it's impossible. And at another time, the rabbi, or you'll, you'll pick up a sefer, and you'll learn the Rambam, the Maimonides commentary, on chapter 1, mark this down to remember, chapter 1, Mishnah 6 in Pirkei Avot. And we will really see when are we obligated to judge others favorably, when are we not allowed to judge others favorably, and when is it the proper thing to do. Because we're not supposed to be naive at the same time. But, having said that, we have an obligation in the right circumstances to judge others favorably. Rabbi Alexander Ziskin, the author of Sefer Yesod Vishoresh HaAvodah. Very nice Sefer. Great, amazing things going on in that Sefer. In the Sefer he writes that when a person judges others favorably, it actually leads them to loving them and fulfilling the mitzvah of when you judge others in a good light, you start becoming endeared to them. They would start becoming endeared to you. It works back and forth. And the same thing, when you really, and the, the, the flip side is true also, when you really love somebody, you'll find a way to judge them favorably. How many times will you find a way to excuse your son, to excuse your daughter for the most atrocious and ridiculous things they can do at school. By the way, not always the best thing to do. For sure not in front of your children. Because when your children see you side with them and disagree with the school, well, they're going to disrespect the school, the principal, the teacher, and the administration and the whole system. So to your child, you need to show them how the school has rules, we need to follow the rules, and I believe in you, 
And look how we tie it in, and I'll give you another chance as well. Okay? But you go into that principal's office, and boy, are you going to rip the table on the guy. You're going to tell him or her exactly why your son is the biggest sadiq or your daughter is the biggest sadeket. And she didn't cheat, she didn't come late, she didn't scream out in class, she came in the proper dress code. You're going to find all the proper reasons. But what about your neighbor's kid? What about your enemy's kid? What about someone you don't like too much? Why don't you judge them favorably? This is, by the way, the answer to how God can command us in our minds to judge others favorably. How can Hashem command me and obligate me to judge another person favorably? Why do I need to at all? Because we're capable of doing it. We do it for ourselves all the time. We rationalize. We give ourselves chances over chances and excuses over excuses. We do it for our children. We do it when we're on good terms with our spouse. And we don't do it when we're on bad terms with our spouse. That is what we have the power of doing in our minds. So Hashem says, utilize it. Every single one of the Jewish people, your brothers and your sisters. Treat them like your children. Treat them like the brother and the sister that you love and judge them favorably. Give them a second chance. So to sum up tonight, we're leaving by saying, number one, God gives you a second chance. Number two, give yourself that second chance. Number three, give others a second chance. Give your spouse a second chance, your children a second chance, your neighbors, your friends, your enemies. Give everyone a second chance because Hashem gives us all for things which are unforgivable, second chances as well. Thank you everyone for coming. Thank you Rabbi again. Thank you for listening and be sure to listen to more Torah classes by Rebel Laredo. Please visit the MTC Sunny Isles website for more information at mtcsunnyisles.com. Rebel Laredo also has hundreds of Torah classes on YouTube and more coming out daily. Go to youtube.com forward slash Rebel Laredo.